0: Recently, I was listening to a podcast with a business and leadership expert named Patrick Lencioni. If you haven't read any of his books, I would highly encourage it. They're quite powerful and helpful. He said something that was surprising, though. He said that we should get rid of the term servant leadership. Now, it's not because he doesn't believe in servant leadership. In fact, many of his books defend the idea. But rather, he was saying if we continue to use the term servant leadership, it sort of implies that there's another kind of leadership, which many of us would argue, no, there's not really another kind of leadership. Being a leader is serving those you lead. And again, he's not trying to get rid of the term so much as he's trying to make a point. That I think that point sort of rises up to something inside of us, that if at any point we get new power and authority, or if at any point we realize that we have more power than someone else, that if at any point we realize that we have opportunities and privileges that others don't, how do we respond in those moments? What do we actually do? Because for all of us, the natural inclination is to use our power and authority for ourselves, right? whether you're in a leadership position, management, or you're in an entry-level position. No matter if you are in tech or the nonprofit world, or maybe you stay at home, or you're a student, or maybe just with your friendships and your close relationships. We all have that natural inclination inside of us. You can call it selfishness, you can call it self-preservation, or you can just call it smart. The thing is that we all are willing and want to use our power and our influence for ourselves. However, God demonstrated through Jesus That in his economy, systems and relationships should be different. So part of what we're going to spend our time doing today is answering some questions. Answering the question, what do you do when you gain power, authority, and status? How do you treat people when you have more power and influence than someone else? How do you treat people when you have any sort of advantage? Maybe it's just you're having a better day than someone else. What do you do when it dawns on you, you have position, you have privilege, and you have opportunity? And how can we sort of transition our natural response to a response that is much better? We started this series to talk about the transition to reopen during COVID-19 and our transition in our country from racism and discrimination. And um, if you missed any of the messages in this series, including last week's message from Sophie, we encourage you to go to our website or head to our YouTube channel to watch that. But last week, Sophie shared with us some words from Jesus that challenged us to move from comfort to discomfort. Now, in doing justice or reconciliation work of any kind, those of us in power, those of us with influence, those of us with resources, are going to have to move from comfort to discomfort, which is sort of the exact opposite of the progression of which most of us have tried to spend our lives working towards. We want to work towards comfort. Yet, Jesus says that anytime you're going to share the good news of Jesus, it's probably going to lead to division, it's probably going to lead to sacrifice, and ultimately discomfort. So we're going to continue the movement towards discomfort today. We're going to look at an instance during the last week of Jesus' life, and Jesus has sort of been preparing his disciples for this moment, for these moments that are going to happen. Um, Basically everything, circumstance, situation, um, experience, everything that he's been teaching is sort of culminating to this moment and these moments following this. And like any good teacher, um, he's continuing to try to make sure that they understand before the big test comes. And like any good parent, trying to make sure that their 17 or 18 year old child knows who they are and how they should treat other people when they get out on their own. And Jesus is using every last moment that, we, that he has with his disciples to help make sure that they understand who they are and how they should treat other people. And so we find Jesus and his 12 disciples at the dinner table. We're going to be in John chapter 13. If you want to follow along in the Bible app, if you don't know, you can download the Bible app and follow, find our notes and the verses there. Um, you can also jump in the chat. We'll have them there in the notes section, or you can just follow along on the screen as well. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. And Jesus knows that he's about to be killed and he's wanting to continue to show his love for them um, throughout this time and help teach them and sort of remind them again these important things before he leaves. Now many of us know from anecdotal stories or maybe from some research you read or whatever around nurses and medical professionals who are serving and caring for people who are dying. That in those last moments of people's lives, there's incredible clarity clarity and um, a perspective, and helping realize what is really important. And you can see what's really important by the words and the actions of those people who are about to die. And so Jesus' disciples should really sort of be paying attention because they see Jesus, and they they sort of know, but they don't really know, that Jesus is going to be dying soon. At the very least, we should be paying attention to what Jesus says and does right before he dies, because it's going to show us what is really important. So verse 2, It was time for supper, and the devil had already been prompting Judas Um, son of of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And if you don't know, Judas is going to betray Jesus in a few hours. And um, Jesus sort of knows that this is happening. He sort of knows that this sort of evil is sort of going around. And yet, verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. And there's something significant about this moment where Jesus realizes in some special way he knows or he senses that he has been given authority over everything. And this is an incredibly important moment. And just like most of us, we watch people from afar, maybe when they, they get new positions of power, or they get some new money, or, or they, they get some sort of new status. And we sort of watch, how are they going to respond right after they get that? Because that will sort of be an indicator of the person that they actually are. And Jesus gets this moment where he realizes that he has all power and authority, and it's this incredible moment that really can't be overstated or overemphasized because of what we know in this moment and what's going to happen next. It's just an incredible moment. But also, I think this can't be overstated because what if this was you? What if this happened to you and all of a sudden all power and authority was placed in your hands? What would you do in that moment? And I think the thing for most of us is we would use that for ourselves. And Jesus also realized and knew that this guy was going to deny him. This guy was going to betray him. And the rest of the ten, they were going to abandon him in a few short hours. And so Jesus like, sort of realizes again in some special, unique way that he also has been given power and authority over everything. And the very next thing that he does is this in verse 4. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Basically, at the high point of Jesus's power, Jesus takes off the garment of clothing that would show his teaching authority. And then he puts on another garment that would represent or symbolize being a lowly servant. Continue on verse 5. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around his waist. And Jesus is given a power and authority over everything. And the next thing that he does is wash the disciples' feet, For most of us, this doesn't even make any sense because there are so many other things we would do first if we realized we had authority over everything. And most of it revolves around money and stuff, right? And once we took care of ourselves and enough money and stuff, we might start to think about other people and taking care of some of their problems and healing them or whatever the case might be, right? But Jesus demonstrates a powerful, important point that he's going to elaborate on in a bit. We are given power to help the powerless. We are to use our status for those who don't have any status. We are to use our privilege for those who don't have any privilege. And we are to use our ability to stand for those who can't stand. And we're to use our ability to speak for those who can't speak. That the power and authority that we're given isn't for us, but for others. And we're tempted to put a just in there, right? The power and authority we're given isn't just for us, but for others. But let me ask you a question. Does Jesus use any of his power and authority for himself? And I think it'll be hard for you to come up with any instance where he actually does that. And the story of feet washing sort of challenges the way that um, relationships typically played out in the first century. Students served the teacher. Uh, Servants served the master. Um, Followers served the leader. That was just sort of the way things went. A servant would wash the dinner party's feet. But uh, uh, the guest of honor would not wash the servant's feet. That's just not the way it would go. That power and authority were things to be used for your advantage. And if you didn't, someone else would use their power and authority to take advantage of you, or maybe just to take you out. (laughs) But in the 21st century, we see celebrities and athletes and and business leaders. We see them sign big contracts or get new deals or um, sell their stock options. And usually they buy a new house or car or both or all, whatever it might be. And many of us think, well, I don't have that level of power and authority, so this doesn't apply to me. However, I think Jesus would challenge us to say that any level of power and authority that you have is important in how you use it. That if you gain new authority, acquire more power, or you have better opportunities, you are to use that authority, that power, and those opportunities to help other people and to serve others first, not serve yourself first. And again, this is kind of interesting given the audience that Jesus is speaking to, because he's speaking to the 12 disciples. And at this point, they're probably loving life because they're sort of like many rock stars and celebrities because of their association and connection with Jesus. And Jesus sort of exemplifies for them how they are to act and use their power and status for other people, not for themselves. And Jesus basically says, like, you're going to go and preach the gospel. You're going to probably heal some people. And people are gonna to wanna to be close to you because you were the ones closest to me. And you are gonna be extraordinarily influential. But don't forget this night, that when I realized I had all the power and authority, the first thing I did was wash your feet. So Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and then he tells his disciples that he's about to leave. And where I'm going, you cannot follow me. And then he sort of summarizes the whole experience by saying a new, giving a new commandment to the disciples. And he says this in verse 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other, which doesn't seem like a very new commandment. doesn't seem very hard, but then he ups the bar. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And I sort of wonder if Jesus sort of went around the room and looked at each person and sort of identified a disciple and said, Matthew, do you remember the first time that I came up to your tax collector's booth? Like Peter wanted to spit on you. And before you like believed anything about me and before you changed anything about you, do you remember how I responded to you? And it's as if he would look at Nathaniel and say, Nathaniel, do you remember the first time that we talked? you remember the words that came out of your mouth? Oh yeah, like, does anything good come from Nazareth? Yeah, like, you just my whole town, you just my family, my friends, my relatives, you just everything about me. Do you remember how I responded to you? Peter, in a few moments, you're going to deny me because you're afraid of a middle school girl. And it's as if he could sort of look at, again, all the disciples and sort of ask them a question, do you remember... How I responded to you after that. And they could all sort of look at him and say, oh yeah, you sort of allowed us to continue to follow you, didn't you? And you welcomed us to follow you, in fact. And at this point, it's kind of interesting what's happening, that all the 12 disciples sort of understood the standard of what Jesus was talking about, how to love other people. Because before this, it was sort of like allowing and welcoming people to follow you and sort of teaching them. And now he sort of instituted this new thing about washing other people's feet And, you know, well, you know, that's not necessarily fun, but it's not impossible, it's doable, right? But a few days after this, the standard is raised incredibly high. Because of the way Jesus loved them was by willing to die for them. That when we are in a position of power, authority, or influence, we have to be willing to use our power and influence and authority to being to the point that we're willing to die for someone else. That we're supposed to treat others as God through Jesus has treated us. Not as good as we deserve to be treated, not as we would want to be treated ourselves. No, Jesus raises the bar way higher than that. And two weeks ago we read the story of Jesus talking about the Good Samaritan and he affirmed that the standard was to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's one thing to like love your neighbor as yourself because you know how you need to be loved, but it's a whole other thing to love like Jesus loved because that's probably gonna mean loving someone who's difficult to love, right? (laughs) Loving someone like Jesus loves us, it means we're probably gonna have to love someone who's going to betray us, because many of us have done both those things to Jesus, in fact, right? And Jesus still loves us. Loving like Jesus would love probably means we're gonna have to love someone who's different than us. Continue on verse 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Like this is the mark, this is the thing I want people to see. This is what I want people to know and distinguish you from other people. This is what I want people to experience and see and feel of someone who is a follower of mine. And this is really sort of the only time that Jesus would say, this is the mark. This is what I want to mark my followers. And it's not political party. It's not even how many times you attend or watch church online. It's not how much you read the Bible or you pray. Those things might help you do this. And those things are sort of important. But the main thing is, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So as we wrap up, I want to think about the influence and power that we have, because I think for most of us, we don't really think that we have much power and influence. And I want to push back a little bit, because we live in one of the most influential and powerful parts of the world, at least in the United States, but most likely we could argue the world. And even if you don't live in Silicon Valley, you live in the North Bay or East Bay or Central Valley, or you live somewhere else, being in America comes with a certain status and privilege and opportunity and power, you could argue as well. So how are we leveraging that? Because most of the time I think that we think about our power and our influence and our authority and whatever that might be, and we really only think about it in terms of how it can benefit us. What if we, every time we thought about influence and power, we only thought about it in terms of how can we use it to leverage and help other people instead? That when it comes to our wealth, which again, uh, no matter your status and your income bracket, you have status and income compared to the other parts of the world. But even just say that, what if we thought about our wealth, our money, whatever's in our bank account, every time it goes up, every time we gain some influence, every time we gain some money, every time somebody gives us something, what if we thought about first how we could use that to love other people? What about when it comes to um, the various different people groups that we're going to come in contact with, specifically in the Bay Area and in Silicon Valley, but really anywhere? That if we thought about how are we going to use whatever privilege and status comes with who we are, what if we thought about how we could leverage that for other people? I heard this good question, how should people who don't look like you experience you? Because someone who's different than you has experienced you. What do you think they experienced? When it comes to the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus. In in the Silicon Valley and Bay Area, we don't typically think we have a lot of power and opportunity and influence to share the good news of Jesus with people because not too many people even look up to Jesus or look to Jesus as a leader. But what if we used every opportunity, every resource we had to share the good news of Jesus, that Jesus loves everyone? What if we took advantage of every opportunity to do that? And then lastly, students. What if you took advantage of the opportunity and the education you have, the experiences you're experiencing here that many other people don't get, what if you use that to serve and to help other people? Not just to get into the college that you want to, not just to get the job that you want to, that you plan for, hope for, but what if you actually leveraged your education as a resource to help other people? And students who are still in school and are gonna be a while before they get out, this is why you should do well in school and do your best. Yeah, because your parents tell you, and yeah, because the teachers, and you respect them. But most importantly, this is a way that you can leverage something you have to help other people. My kids go to a bilingual uh, school, Spanish immersion school, and um, it's really kind of a cool thing because my wife and I, we wouldn't be able to give our kids a second language without this because we don't know another language. But one of the things we've constantly told our kids as they go through this experience is, we want you to use this language... Not just for you, because it might get you a great job opportunity and, you know, you'll be bilingual and whatever the case might be. We want you to use this opportunity to help other people. That you might be the bridge between people who can't communicate. You might be able to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, with somebody who doesn't speak English. We want you to think about the opportunities and ways you can leverage this resource of knowing another language for other people. So, what do you do when you have any amount of power? Because at some point, we're all going to come into a moment where we realize we have some level of power and influence in a situation. And I want you to remember, first thing is, that Jesus, when he realized he had authority over everything, the first thing that Jesus did was he washed some dirty, stinky feet. Whose feet do you need to wash? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the life of Jesus. Um, Thank you for his teaching. Thank you for his example, most importantly. That he, when he came into power and he realized he had power in some unique, special way, the first thing that he did, he demonstrated for us what we should do first. Anytime we come into power, anytime we come into money, anytime we come into any sort of opportunity, we should look for ways to leverage it for others and to serve other people. So God, this falls. This message really falls on a lot of different years, in a lot of different places. There are some people who really don't have privilege and status right now. And maybe for those people, would you help remind them that there are a group of people, there are Christians around the world who want to live this out and want to use their privilege and status for them. For the rest of us who do have some sort of privilege, some sort of status, some sort of opportunity and power, God, would you please give us the wisdom to know what to do with this? Would you please give us the eyes to see the areas that we have power and influence and opportunity? And then God, would you please give us the courage to actually go and use it for other people? That you'd give us the moment of pause even, to to pause to think about the ways that we could help other people. That we wouldn't just jump to using it for ourselves. That you would change our natural response to be a response of looking out for other people. That you would help us to pause and remember the stinky dirty feet that Jesus would wash right after he realized he had authority over everything. God, would you please do that same thing in our hearts? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.